All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 6 again. I'm going to start reading in verse 15, and then I'm going to read through the end of chapter 7. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 is another one of those questions that Paul asks. What then shall we sin? If you notice in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, What then shall we continue in sin? But here he just simply says, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. And again, the answer, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin and of death, or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield ye your, mem your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were, the, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them who, that know the law, how the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth? For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when you were in the flesh, the motion of sins, which were by the law, did work on our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. 
For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look into the word of God today that we see ourselves as we really are, exceeding sinful in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Father, help us to understand what we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Dead to the law. And we should serve in newness of the Spirit. So, Lord, just give us strength, give us wisdom, help us understand these truths and make application to our lives that we might better serve thee acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, simply a changed attitude to sin. Changed attitude to sin. Excuse me. You know, in the quote Christian world today, you know, many have a mindset or attitude that it's okay to sin. After all, everybody does. A little sin is okay. After all, brother, we are under grace. And we don't want to be legalistic like the Pharisees. Most people don't view the Bible as instructive on how to live holy, but simply as a storybook about Jesus. And as long as we believe in him, we're okay. They have not seen themselves as depraved, depraved sinners in danger of the fires of hell or with the naturally rebellious inclinations of their human nature. In fact, they would chafe at Jeremiah's description of the heart, which says it's desperately wicked. Who can know? As one lady told me very emphatically years ago, Quote, I am a good person. I told you I go to church. You know, and that's the average mindset of the Christian world in America today. But Paul in our text here gives us God's perspective and instructions how to overcome the flesh and its natural inclination to sin. Again, he starts out with a question, and, and, he, and basically what it means is, in verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And again he says, God forbid or perish the thought. So since we are under grace, we're no longer 
you know, the law, we're not saved by the law or, you know, or, or saved by trying to keep the law. We've met the law of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, so we're no longer under the law. So since we're under grace, shall we sin? Or, you might say, is it okay to sin a little as a child of God? You know, that was the question that, that he's addressing here. So, since, the, since we're not longer bound by the law, is it therefore okay to sin a little? You know, it is normal, isn't it? You know, Christians do sin, right? Well, Christians do sin. That is normal. That is normal in a, in a Christian life for Christians to sin. But the question is, is it acceptable to God? That's what Paul's asking. Well, let me ask you this way. Is it acceptable when children disobey their parents? Is it acceptable when employees don't do their job? So therefore, is it acceptable that we as God's children sin? And the answer is no. It doesn't please the Lord. It isn't acceptable by Him. It requires, of course, we know from the other verses in the Bible, it requires confession, asking of forgiveness. So the answer again is, you know, just because we're not under the law doesn't mean it's, it's oh, it's okay then that we sin a little bit. No, it's not. And he gives some reasons here. First of all, sin is corrupting. Sin is corrupting. If you notice in in verse uh, uh, 19 and 20, it says this. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness." Uh, you know, sin is corrupting. You know, we see here, first of all, that sin is progressive. He says, from iniquity unto iniquity. You were servants to uncleanness, and iniquity unto iniquity. You know, it, it, it's like sin leads to sin. Sin leads to sin. It's progressive. Paul compared it to Lebanon in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not the little leaven... Leaveneth the whole lump. Sin is progressive. It's invasive. It's like a it's like a, a Bradford pear. It's an invasive species. It takes over everything. And they're a curse to humanity. Uh, you know, sinful habits become ingrained, and the longer we keep them, the more ingrained they become. You know, think of four trees in a row. The first one at year, one year of growth, the second at five years of growth, the third at ten years of growth, and the fourth one at 15 years of growth. Which tree will be the most difficult to pull up? doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, does it? And the longer you keep sin or practice sin or sinful habits in your life, the harder they're going to be to overcome. The more ingrained they become because sin is corruptible. It's, it's progressive. Of course, that works the other way as well. 
So we see sin is progressive. Sin also brings death. In verses 21 through 23, he says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Being now made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the, the, the corrupting influence of sin in your life will bring misery and death. Premature death or early death if left unchecked. You know, sinful habits have a debilitating effect on the body, not to mention the guilt of the mind associated with it. You know, in the Old Testament, under the law, if, if, a, if a man thought his wife was unfaithful, he was to bring her to the priest, and the priest would make a, 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 some kind of water that he made her drink. And if she was guilty, this water would go into her body and make her thigh to rot. But if she was not guilty, that same water would have no effect on her. You know, that's the best lie detector test that ever was invented by. But it wasn't invented by man, it was invented by God. See, what, whatever that water was, it reacted to the guilt. And, and you, your body is affected by guilt. The Indians, I was told the Indians had a thing where if a man was questioned about guilt or innocence, they would take a, a knife and lay it on his tongue. A hot knife. If it sizzled, he was not guilty. That was normal for your tongue to be wet. But if it was dry, the conscience dries up the tongue. David even talked about, my moisture is, is, is in the drought of summer. And he was under guilt. For his sin with Bathsheba, he said, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. His body was drying up because of the guilt. See, sin has a debilitating effect on your body. Sin brings death, even to God's children. In 1 Chronicles, I'm sorry, 10.13 says this, So Saul died for his transgression which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. Now, you know, there's, there's debate whether Saul was actually a saved man or not. But the point here is, Saul died not because he was an old man. Or of natural causes. He died because of his sin. He died an early death because of his sin. You know, the Bible tells us about Abraham that he died being full of days. In other words, he died a natural death of old age. But Saul died because of his sin. In, in good health, basically. Moses, think of Moses. Moses' sin died because of his sin in striking the rock twice. And the Bible says this about Moses, Deuteronomy 34, 7. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. Now we would think, well, that's an old man. But notice what it says. His eyes was not dim, nor his natural force abated. He had not lost his physical strength, nor his eyes sight. He didn't die of old age. He died an early death because he struck the rock twice. And we know in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul worked to the church of Corinth, he said this to them, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And that word sleep there is talking about the physical death. It's the same word that's used over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it says, them that sleep with Jesus will God bring with him. Talking about those who have been buried. So there were, there were people at Corinth whose lives had been cut short because of their, their, their uh, uh, taking of the Lord's Supper while living in sin. Unconfessed sin. The wages of sin is death. There is a sin unto death, 1 John chapter 5 tells us. So God forbid. It's not okay to sin. Because sin is corrupting. Sin is corrupting. Secondly, once you notice the power of sin is the law. Look at chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Now three times... Uh, or, or twice, he uses the word occasion here, and he, and he says that the commandment, you know, occasion by the commandment, uh, uh, has the idea of deceive me or slew me. And, and so the, the, the power of sin is the law. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, the strength of sin is the law. Now, this, this passage can be a little bit confusing, but let me try and explain it this way. As we think about it, let me find some words first. The word occasion here means a place from which a movement or attack is made. It's the base of operations, you might say, in a military term. We might say it's the incentive. See, the law reveals to us what sin, what is sin, and our natural, carnal, Rebellious nature says what? I want to do it. That's what it says. I want to do it. I mean, somebody tells you you can't do something. What do you want? What, 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 what immediately comes to your mind? Oh, I'll show them. You tell a child they can't have something, and what do they want? The thing you told them they can't have. 
and we're just big children. And he says there in verse 8 again, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought, that word wrought there means worked, or brings about, reveals all manner of concupiscence in me. That word concupiscence means a desire for what is forbidden. And you know, we see the law and then we want all those things that are forbidden for from us. Are forbidden, you know, that are forbidden. You know, we are told not to do something or food is set before us and we are commanded not to eat. What do you want to do? You want to eat. Again, it reveals the sin nature and how carnal we are. One commentator said this, quote, when he was young, talked about when he was young, he had this, this experience, he, this is something he did. He said, quote, there was a pear tree in our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we rascally youths set out to rob it and carry away our, our spoils away. We took off a, whole, a huge load of pears, not to feast upon ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidden fruit. They were nice pears, but it was not the pears that my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief. Was it the pleasure of acting against the law? The desire to steal was awakened simply by the prohibition of stealing. Unquote. There was a waterfront hotel in Florida concerned that people might fish from the balconies. So they put up signs saying, no fishing from the balcony. They had constant problems with people fishing from the balconies. Lines and sinker weights breaking windows and bothering people in rooms below. They finally solved the problem by simply, guess what? Removing the signs. Removing the signs. You see, because of our fallen nature, the law can actually work like an invitation to us. We just want to break it. We just want to be able to say, we did it. A family member said, I just like to one time get do you know something wicked. I said, You're foolish. You're foolish. Warren Wearsby said this quote, instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome, the law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. It's like a dare to us. Do you ever play, you ever, you ever play that game, you know, I dare you? And so we are so easily deceived by our sin. I mean, it looks good. And it does bring temporary pleasure. Like the Bible says in Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But it's only a season.
remember, the law is not the cause of sin. It simply reveals the exceeding sinfulness of us sinners. The law proves our carnality. Look look again at chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. He says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? You know, so is it the law's fault that I am I, I am I am headed for death, that I'm condemned to death. Is it the law's fault? You know, and that's what the world says today. It's not my fault, it's the world's fault. It's everybody else's fault. And people can say, well, it's not my fault, it's the law. If we didn't have these laws, I wouldn't be a lawbreaker. And we have chaos in our society. Verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know the law is spiritual, and here is the problem, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now understand who is writing this and who is saying, I am carnal. It is the Apostle Paul, not lost Paul. Some people think Paul wrote just chapter 7 before he got saved. No, he did not. He said, I am carnal. And he expands and explains that his carnality in verses 15 through 24, he says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which is I would not, I consent in the law that it is good. Now it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good if I not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who should deliver me from the body of this death? Of course, I thank the Lord Jesus. You know, Paul's explaining here, I have a constant battle with the flesh. You know, Paul said in Corinthians, I die daily. What do you mean by that? He said every day, what that means is every day Paul had to say to himself, you know, look, I can't. I'm not here to live to please myself. I'm to reckon this old man dead. Christ has set me free. I don't have to serve sin. And he had to ask the Spirit of God to give him victory over his flesh and bring his flesh into subjection every day. Every day. He said, I die daily. He had this, you you, you might say, I just struggle with this. Guess what Paul did too? Every day he struggled. 
He, he wrote to the Corinthians and said, The flesh warreth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. It's a battle every day. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. It shows us what we really are. It reveals that we are exceeding sinful. And, and, and for Paul to say, I am carnal, shows that he is a spiritual man. One commentator said this about this. Quote, that is the proof of the spiritual and wise man. He knows that he is carnal and he is displeased with himself. Indeed, he hates himself and praises the law of God, which he recognizes because he is spiritual. But the proof of a foolish carnal man is this, that he regards himself as spiritual and is pleased with himself. Unquote. For somebody to say that they're pretty good reveals they are carnal very carnal because there is none good remember Jesus said to the rich young ruler why callest thou me good there is one good that is God we are all as an unclean thing you know Paul wrote when he wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesus chapter 2 and when he said in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And we had that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That rebellious spirit. That's what he's talking about. That when it's told no or commanded not, it automatically wants to do it. That's human nature. And we need to recognize it as exceedingly sinful. I want you to notice a third thing. We see that sin is... Corrupting sin is the power. Uh, the, uh, sin uh, strength is the law, but sin's strength of the law has been severed. If you notice in chapter seven again in verse six, it says this: "But now we are delivered from the law. We are delivered from the law." That word "delivered" is the same word that's that's. Uh, same word as the word loosed in verse 2. The same word as destroyed in chapter 6 and verse 6. And it means to be uh, inoperable or unemployed. To let loose from. And, and Paul illustrates this by a marriage in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Again, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. For the woman... So, so, you know, we're under the law as long as we live. 
As long as we live to ourselves, we're under the law. But Christ has delivered us from the law. Talk about that in a minute. But anyway, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, this is a useless illustration, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. You're not living under the law, as we saw in verse 1, but you're dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who raised, is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So, so he's using the illustration of marriage here, and what he's saying is when a husband dies, the wife is no longer married to him. It's past tense. He is no longer her husband. And we are dead to the law and married to our heavenly bridegroom. And so we are freed, we have been freed from the law and freed from the power of sin. When we see Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're delivered from sin's penalty and its power, and we can serve now in newness of spirit, uh, having a new spirit, a new attitude, a new heart, or a new will, if you will. Notice verse 6 again, he says, we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 6, Paul said, Who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth. See, the letter is referring to the law. The law only condemns and says, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things written in the law to do them. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. See, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So we ought to live in newness of spirit. Not in the oldness of the letter. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28. And, and, and then also in... in Earlier in that chapter, he said similar things. But one of the things he said in, in Matthew 5, verse 27, 28, he said this. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the old letter. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, here's the newness of the spirit, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, the letter says, thou shalt not kill. The newness of the Spirit says, don't be angry with your brother. You're in danger of hellfire. The old letter says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The newness of the Spirit says, swear not at all. Swear not at all. You see, it's not so much as a... There's this line that I got to meet. And as long as I meet this certain line, I'm okay. You know, and I live with fear and trembling, just making sure I don't ever cross that line. That's the old letter. The newness of the Spirit says, I don't even want to get close to the line. 
My desire is not to get close to the lion. I just want to please the Lord. And I am more than willing to go beyond the old letter because I want to please the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying here. We should live in newness of spirit. The law should not be our standard. It is a standard. It's a standard of the righteousness of God. But we ought not to have the idea, oh, just as long as I meet that standard. I'm okay. yeah. That's what the Pharisees did. That's how the Pharisees lived. You know, Paul, that's the way Saul of Tarsus lived. He was, according to the law, blameless. And yet was zeal persecuting the church. You know, that, that trying to keep the old for the letter and make sure, you know what that does? It leads you to hypocrisy. People live that way are hypocrites. Because they'll, they'll, they'll meet a certain standard on Sunday for the rest of the week. Who knows what? They live for themselves. Now, if you're serving in the newness of the letter, you're going to try and please the Lord, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, Thursday. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 17. There's an interesting statement here. It says, But God be thanked that ye were, the, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You have obeyed from the heart that form. That word form has the idea of a mold. It's a transformation of the inner man. Adam Clark in his commentary said this, here Christianity is represented on the notion of a mold or a die into which they are cast and from which they took the impression of its excellence. The figure upon this die is the image of God, righteousness and true holiness, which is stamped on their souls in believing the gospel and receiving the Holy Ghost. The words refer to the melting of metal, which when it is liquefied, liquefied is cast in the mold that it may receive the impression that is sunk or cut in the mold. Therefore, the words may be literally translated, into which mold of doctrine ye have been cast. So they were melted down on the preaching of the word and then were capable of receiving the stamp of its purity. This is, we, would, we would call this sort of like a heart transfusion. That's what Paul meant in first, uh, uh, um, Romans chapter 12 when he said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So he said, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new will, a new desire, a new spirit, a new attitude. And I'm going to take away that old stony one, that stony one who's, who was always pushing the line. who is dead and cold and says, well, just as long as I meet the standard, you know, as long as I don't cross the line. That's the oldness of the letter. You see, you had tall Sarsus, Pharisee of Pharisees, touching the law blameless, zeal persecuting the church. And you have the newness, that's the oldness of the letter. You have the newness, Paul the Apostle, 
pleading with people to turn to God. He said, I beseech you. That word beseech means to beg. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He said, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I'm willing to live like the Gentile. Can you imagine a Pharisee living like a Gentile? Can you imagine that? That's the reason the Pharisees wanted to stone him. But see, that's the newness of the Spirit. He said, I have suffered all things but the loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I can't not myself to have apprehended. Lord, I haven't arrived. See, the oldness of the letter says it's okay as long as I meet the standard. But I'm going to push the boundaries as close as possible. The newness of the Spirit says my heart's desire is to please my new master, to let him mold me and make me. I don't want to just keep the standard. I want to stay away from the edge. I want, my, I want to be clear in my testimony and my deportment. It's more important to me to please the Lord than to look attractive or be in style. Now, your borderline immodest is not beautiful. It's sensual. And being attractive or beautiful and pleasing the Lord are not opposites. I don't believe. You can be beautiful and attractive and still pleasing the Lord. And you young men can look handsome and look nice. You can look good and look nice. You don't have to dress down to be a man. That just reveals nobody's telling me what to do. I want some attention. Please, right here, front center. Why do people dye their hair purple? Put big rings in their noses. Would you please look at me? See, the newness of the Spirit says, I don't want to push the line. Bob Jones Sr. said this one time, and I don't know if it was a true story or not, but he said an owner of a stagecoach was interviewing for a new driver. The route required skills through mountains with cliffs along the road. The first said, I have much experience on dangerous roads, and I can get as close to the edge, I can get within six inches of the edge, and I will not go over. I am that experienced. He said, okay, you can, you can go. The other said, yeah, I have experience also, but I consider it a great responsibility to deliver my passengers safely. I'm going to stay as far away from that edge as I possibly can. He said, you're home. 
See, in the newness of the Spirit, it says, I'm going to stay away from the edge. I'm going to stay away from the edge. But it simply requires of us that we submit to being remolded, remade. Rejoicing in what God has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has set us free from the sin and death and the, and the law. We're no longer bound by the law. But you know what binds us? is ourselves. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom as what is now Belgium. The elder brother's name was Reynold, but he was commonly called Crassus. It's a Latin nickname meaning fat, for he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Reynold's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of duke over his lands. But instead of killing Reynold, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassus, a room with only one door. The door was not locked, the windows were not barred, and Edward was promised, Edward promised Reynold that he could regain his land and his title anytime he wanted to. All he would have to do is leave the room. The obstacle was freedom was not in the doors or the windows, but with Reynold himself. Being grossly overweight, he could not fit through the door, even though it was of near normal size. All Reynold needed to do was diet down to a smaller size, then walk out a free man with all he had before his fall. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods, and Reynold's desire to be free never won out over his desire to eat. Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he so wills. But Reynold stayed in that room for ten years until Edward himself was killed in battle. You so often we're prisoners to our own sin, our own selves. Because we won't allow God we won't obey from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to us and have victory and be made free and become servants of righteousness. You see, we can have victory. We just need a change of attitude towards sin and toward ourselves. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. As Paul saw himself, he said, I am carnal, sold under sin. We are exceedingly sinful. And until we see ourselves as God sees us, we're going to struggle with victory. You know, one of the things that the Lord requires of us is honesty. We have to be honest with ourselves, and that requires humility. And somebody said humility is nothing more than honesty, just being honest with yourself. Might God help us to have a changed attitude towards sin 
that we might walk in the newness of spirit.